Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And this week on the podcast, we had the first installment in our interview series. Uh, you'll recall that earlier this year, I reached out to all of our listeners and asked for volunteers. And what I envisioned was talking to someone before a big target race uh, about their expectations for the race, their training for the race, their anxieties about the race. Uh, and then, of course, following up with them after the race and hearing a little bit more about how the race went, whether it lived up to expectations, whether their fears were realized, whether they accomplished their goals, etc. And one of the first people to reach out to us was Smitha Barkey. Smitha is a runner from Metro Atlanta. Uh, she runs between about five and a half and six hours for her marathon. She's run several marathons, and she's currently on a quest to get all six world marathon majors. Uh, she's already done Chicago. She's already done New York. She's already done London. And on March 3rd, she towed the line for Tokyo. So here's how it's going to work. First, I'm going to play the first conversation that I had with Smitha. And, and for this particular conversation, I spoke with Smitha about two weeks before the race. As you're going to hear us discuss, she was going to Tokyo fairly early because her family was going to be doing a lot of touring. Touring that was booked, by the way, by Blue Pineapple Travel, our sponsor. Then I'll have a little interlude there in the middle and I'll hit play on the second part when we're actually coming back after the race. So we'll get to hear from her first a little while she was talking about before the race. I'll come back to you, and then we'll hear her wrap-up of the race itself. So, without further ado, let's hear from Smitha. We have with us now Smitha Barkey, and Smitha, you're running the Tokyo Marathon, right? I am. Very good. And Smitha, the, the, the Tokyo Marathon is on the 3rd of March, is that right? That is correct. All right, very good. And we are talking on February 17th, which is uh, it's two weeks from race day, um, about two weeks out from the race. And we have to talk this early because after all, the Tokyo Marathon's on the other side of the planet. And you are leaving when? Tomorrow. I fly out tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we could have, like, you know, tried to coordinate a call from Tokyo to the United States, but that might have been a little bit difficult here. For, so, uh, so, so yeah, so you're flying out two weeks early. Um, are you going to go directly to Tokyo and just chill? Or are you going to go to Tokyo and tour around? Or what's your plan? I am going to Holistic Japan with my whole family, which includes my husband and two kids, so the Great. whole plan. And we will be spending some time in Tokyo and then Kyoto and then back in Tokyo, where okay. then I finally hope to put my feet up a few days before the race itself. Gotcha. Very good. And so so... So you're going to tour. So you have, you have a pretty intense tour schedule, right? Over the course of the first several days that you're there, right? I do, I do. And actually, uh, your wife Casey was the one who helped me plan it all up, and um, I'm super excited. Uh, there's yeah, a lot of travel, and um, I have a kid who turns 13 when we are there. Oh, cool. So we are going to be having a 13th birthday celebration at Tokyo Disney. <laughs> um, that's something exciting too. Very cool. Very good. So yeah, score one for Blue Pineapple Travel there. Very good. Um, but you said there is going to be enough time that you're going to go to Tokyo and you're going to kick your kick your feet up before the race, right? Yes. Uh, about four days before the race, so Thursday before the Sunday race, we head back to Tokyo. And the only thing I have planned is to go to the expo on the very first day mm -hmm. and then just chill out. I will let my family do whatever they want to do. If they are tired from all the travel and they want to chill out that's fine too 
but um and also hoping all the travel will still keep my legs you know not be dead from just the travel and the jet lag right on right on with a with a few days to kind of get your legs back a little bit there so yeah very good very good um and so you're flying you you, you live in metro atlanta and you're flying all the way over to tokyo you're flying a direct flight I am. We got super lucky and uh, scored some really good, inexpensive tickets, uh, Delta, direct to Tokyo. So we took advantage of that and we okay. will be flying direct. So about a 14-hour flight, but then I fly to India all the time. So it's no big deal. Right on. Just a few more hours extra. <laughs> Very good. Right on. Very good. So, so tell us a little bit about why the Tokyo Marathon. Why is this a marathon that you chose? So I had the wild idea of trying to do the world marathon majors mm-hmm. and that started about i had done chicago a couple of times and then when i happened to do london which i got a charity spot in i just thought that it was really cool and moreover like i love traveling mm-hmm. and there are all these places on my list to travel mm-hmm. but you know work kids family and other things we had never been to places even london mm-hmm. it, on top of my first five in my list, but we never went. And all of a sudden, this marathon popped up, and guess what? The whole family goes for a 10-day vacation to London. Right on. And so that's what made me think about doing the world majors. And uh, Tokyo happened to be so because the way that Tokyo Marathon got moved this year because of the emperor's birthday it actually moved it past a week of, we have a week of school off next week. Okay. And uh, so, and then with my kids' age and things, I decided if I was to take them out of, for a week of school, I would rather do it now than in a later grade. Right. So, and then there was a huge group trying to do a charity uh, spot for Tokyo. And uh, that's one more commitment I made that when I was doing the world majors, I wanted to do each of these races as a charity entry. Even if Very I got cool. into the lottery, I still raised money because, you know, marathoning and running is such a selfish sport. Mm. And this is just a little way of me thinking, okay, there's other things in the world besides just me and chasing these things around the world. Right on. Very cool. Very cool. And so this is, um, you said this is number four for you, right? So you've done, I know you've, you said you've done Chicago a couple of times. You've done, you've done, you mentioned you're doing, you did London. You've done New York as well, right? I did. I did New York last fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a surprise entry from the lottery after about eight years of trying to get in. Oh, wow. And so I did, <laughs> I did New York. And um, New York, again, you know, everything that they say it is and more. I was completely prepared to be underwhelmed because everybody said New York was going to be so awesome. Yeah. But it really was. It was yeah. just like what everybody had said that. Awesome. Uh, yeah, good. Because that, that's good to hear since I'm definitely one of those people who, who hypes up New York. <laughs> so, yeah, good good, good to hear that, that, that all of my saying that it was fantastic and that lives up the hype that it really did for you. So very good. Very good. And so so you'll do Tokyo. This will be number four. You have any skeleton plans for doing uh, Berlin and uh, Boston? Boston. Yeah, of course. So Berlin and Boston, you have, you have the skeleton plans for when you're going to gonna map those out, knock those out? Uh, well, I also got lucky enough to get into the Berlin lottery this year. Right on. So that's in September, mm-hmm. and a very uh, funny enough, I had been trying Berlin too for uh, quite a few years, but never got in the lottery. Mm-hmm. And they have a lottery system where 
either one person or two or three people can enter. Mm -hmm. So you all get in or you don't. And mm. I had read somewhere that if you enter as a group, you have a better chance of getting in. Okay. And uh, so I just looked at my husband and said, hey, can I put your name in? And his reply was, whatever. <laughs> and so I did. Your, your husband, your husband we should say, is not a runner. <laughs> well, right? actually, he is a runner. Oh, okay. My he bad, is. my bad. Okay, very but good. But he does not like running races. Okay, I gotcha. So if, you, if I ask him, hey, will you run 15 miles with me because or for two, three hours with me, he'll be game. He'll be fine. Sure, I'll do that. But, you know, ask, ask him to put a bib on and race. He's like, nah, that's just not for me. Mm -hmm. I get it. My mother-in-law is that way. Very good. Very good. So you got in. So you got into Berlin then. So, so you're doing both Tokyo and Berlin this year in 2019. Yes. And um, I am hoping to get accepted into a charity spot for Boston. Mm -hmm. And um, I do realize that it's a bit of a controversy, charity runner versus uh, no, it's qualified not. runner. No, it's not. <laughs> No, it's really not. Well, any, any anybody who tells you it's a controversy is just being a jerk. It's it's not. And I, I'm saying this as somebody who has qualifying times for 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 Boston and Chicago and New York. Like it's not a controversy. There there are there are varying ways to qualify for the races. And if you qualified via charity or if you qualified via time, you're still qualifying for the race. So yeah, I don't I don't. That's not controversial. I don't have a problem with that at all. But anyway, keep going. Um, so I, I love hearing you say that, uh, but I do hope that I will be able to get into a charity spot. And um, charity spots to Boston are really hard to come, up, hard mm -hmm. to get accepted into. Hmm. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people do forget. It's not just about raising X amount of money; it's also about being accepted to raise that amount of money. Yeah. Interesting. And since since the Boston bombing, that um, the number of people wanting to do that for a cause has gone up, mm -hmm. and uh, so has the organizations. The Boston uh, the Boston Athletic Association itself only has a minimum of five thousand dollars. Okay. But each of these organizations that they give the bids to can set their own limits to it. Gotcha. And um, I want to find an organization that I'm passionate about, mm -hmm. not just because, oh, these people are only 5,000, so this is a safe bet for me. Right. I really want to find something that I'm passionate about, that I connect with. And um, having fundraised for London, I can tell you it's like the, the second and third training rolled into one. Yeah, it, it is, is hard. That, that's actually great. So, so, so if you end up getting into Boston 2020, and I'm running Boston 2020, I can be there at the finish line when you complete your six world marathon majors. I'll get to actually see a world marathon majors medal, finishers medal in person. <laughs> that's exciting. Okay, deal. Deal. Right on. That's good deal. Boston 2020, you at the finish line then. Right on. Very good. Very good. Uh, now, when you and I were trading some email before this uh, before this phone call, you mentioned that, that in the past you've had uh, some injuries leading up to races, and you, and you said that it kind of messes with your head a little bit, right? Uh, you even went so far as to say you have like PTSD from all these injuries that you've gotten in the past. Talk a little bit about that. So um, I started running about eight years ago. And I have always been a couch potato throughout my life. Um, like literally, we didn't play anything in school or college or anything. And I only started running as a way to, uh, when, after my second kid was born. And, you know, call it common sense, call it being smart, call it being lucky. I have not had any injury at all in all these years. Great. And then all of a sudden, I PR this half marathon and two days later, 
I I'm like something's not right, and uh, I don't run through pain. I always like immediately rush off to uh, my chiropractors, and uh, you know they he took a look at me and he said it's very beginning, but it's patella tendonitis. Okay. And then I'm like, uh, okay, so what do I do? Well, rest and ice. All right. So like I said, I don't run through pain. I'm not trying to be um, stupid. I'm not trying to be uber brave. So I take the rest um, and then I get cleared to run. And so I, I go to my appointment in the morning and I'm cleared to run the next day. I'm putting my kid to bed in the evening and I feel like a dagger-like pain, but in my other leg. Hmm. And I go back to him and he says, it's a meniscus pinch. Hmm. And I'm like, how does that even happen? Yeah, I've like, never heard of I'm that. All I'm doing is <laughs> the putting my kid to bed that I have done for almost every night for the past 12 years. Right. And then I have a pinch. At that point, I am completely ready to give up and say, I need a you know complete break. But mm-hmm. then I have New York City. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really hard at that time because any time like, I would feel a niggle. Um, even if it's just soreness of having run three miles, which I wasn't able to because of all these injuries, mm-hmm. it just was so, I was like, oh, is this an, another injury popping up? Or is this my mind playing trick? And when I would talk to people, a lot of them would say, oh, it's all in your mind. Just, you know, just go on. But it was not. So, mm-hmm. or, I mean, maybe it was, but w- what I had gone through, like one after the other after the other, I mean, it wasn't big injuries, but it was just enough to take me out for three, four weeks. Right. And uh, it took me a really, really, really long time after, um, you know, after I came back and started training that actually I never went anything more than, I believe, two hours for New York City Marathon Mm -hmm. for training. And Mm -hmm. two hours at the pace that I run is probably about, no, two and a half hours because I remember doing about 13 miles and that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, and then when I finished New York, I was surprisingly fine. And mm-hmm. then it, again, took me a while to trust myself saying, all right, you're past this. Your body can handle this. It's up to you to convince your mind that nothing's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And if it does, we'll take care of it. Right. But go ahead and don't let this keep holding you back. Right on. Right on. And so, so do you feel as if you, so, so that was all fairly recently then that was all just last fall, uh, just a few months ago. It was. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so, so in, in getting ready then for, um, for Tokyo here, just over the course of the past couple of months, have you, have you been able to stay injury free and have you been able to kind of get out of your own head as far as injuries and all that sort of thing go? I had, and I really had a very conservative training season, but I was able to do some basic stuff. I didn't have any problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I actually surprisingly found a really awesome group of women near where I live who run track in the mornings at five on Tuesdays. Cool. And um, they all run like, you know, three times as fast as I do, but. I keep thinking about this phrase, you know, find your tribe. Yeah. And um, I, I love running in a group and um, and having that group, even in like a track setting, really helped me. And I did get out of my head. Very good. Well, it's a quick turnaround. I mean, four months from, from New York to, to Tokyo. So so it's a quick turnaround. And it sounds like, like it des- is. despite the fact it's such a quick turnaround, you were able to get 
really, really, really good training in there over the course of the past few months here. <laughs> yeah. You're it's good to go. It's been very surprising. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the, the Tokyo race itself. Um, you said that you're a little bit nervous about Tokyo in particular because because the, the cutoff system is a little bit different in Tokyo, right? Yes, a little bit is a very big understatement. I am hugely <laughs> nervous, super, super nervous about it. Um, Tokyo, um, and from what I've been reading, a lot of Japanese marathons have a weird system where they do give you an a lot of time to finish the race. Mm -hmm. and But the race time starts from the gun time, which is when the elite and the very first person crosses the start line. Unlike European races, you broke apart a little bit there. You said you said it, it starts from the gun time from when the, the, the literally the very first people start as opposed to American yes. races where they start from when the last person crosses the start, right? Exactly. And um, as you know, like, for example, in Disney races, a lot of people are worried about making the marathon time. Mm -hmm. And people will try to scooch to the forward of the corral as much as possible. Right. And that's because it's the last person. So even if you were just like second corral down in Disney, you can stop and take nine hours or 10 hours to finish a marathon mm -hmm. by stopping for photos and going on Expedition Everest and every single thing. <laughs> Right. As long as you finish before the total time cut off. Right. But in Tokyo, it starts from gun time. So even though they say it's um, seven hours, it comes down to about 40 minutes. Right. Which uh, is, you know, uh, which even at my pace is not too bad. But they have what is like the checkpoints at almost every 5K mark. Right. Kind of think about like Marine Corps Marathon where they have beat the bridge. Mm -hmm. So at Marine Corps, you have to cross the bridge at about the 19, 20 mile mark in this particular time. And then afterwards, you can roll along. Right. And that's the that's one and they have another one-click one. Mm -hmm. But in Tokyo, it's at every 5K. Oh, wow. And if, if you happen to be the very last person to cross the start line, it could very well end up that your 10K pace for the first 10K is faster, like way faster than your pace for the whole marathon. Mm -hmm. yeah. You still have six hours and 40 minutes to finish, but you have to cross the 10K mark in about an hour and 15 minutes, which, you know, that you don't want a fast first 10K to derail the rest of your marathon. Right. Because it's not just the 10K. They have one at the 15K and another big cutoff is at the 30K mark. Right. So, and that actually, uh, you know, kind of changed a little bit of my training strategy. For sure. Because for one, I tried to learn to do math in my head while running. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, you know, I'm not bad at math, but put running and math together, it's Hard oh, I, I, I totally agree. With you. you you've heard me say on this podcast before. The very first thing that goes when I get tired is my numeracy. So, so yeah. <laughs> so I've been, you know, trying to say, okay, it's five k, and you have whatever forty minutes, thirty five minutes to do it, and that's all. So I'm looking at it in chunks of five k. And the other thing that I forced myself to do was, and this probably goes against every single marathon training advice that you could give is 
It does. I know what you're going to say, and it does. Train <laughs> yourself to run a little bit faster in the beginning. Yeah. But it wasn't so bad for me because I, and again, you know, I I wasn't trying to be super good or smart or anything, but I am used to running slow in the beginning. Mm-hmm. My races have always like you know. I mean, I have an amazing negative split in New York City. My second half was about so twelve minutes faster than my first half. Cool. So you know, obviously because I didn't do the first half as well I should have, hmm. but I I can. I mean, I do have a lot of reserve left left in me, or I take a little bit extra to warm up in front than to be able to get off the gun. Yeah. So. I had to train myself to say, okay, say, okay, even if you run a little bit fast the first half a mile, you're not going to end up dying. It's okay. Right. So, um, you know, I still ended up with a good average. So it wasn't me running tempo for the first three miles and then slowing down at all. Right. But uh, just mentally telling myself that I need to go a little faster. Yeah. You have to go ahead and get after it. Yeah. Then you have to kind of play this balancing game where you have to go about you have to go out fast enough to where you can actually make that 10k cutoff, but at the same time not so fast that you're not you're then going to keel over and be unable to finish the remaining 20 miles of the race. Um, exactly. Because there's still a 15k and a 20k and a 25k cutoff that you got to make those too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that 30k cutoff is also pretty. You know, it ends up averaging out to the same pace that I would have run the first 10k. Right. So. Um, and everything has been that. Even the long runs, again, um, I didn't train to run like really super, super long. I believe at some part, like I have enough training in me that I can go the distance. So I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm. But it's more of, all right, I need to get to that 30K mark right. and be safe. So that has been my goal and training for this whole thing. Right on. All right, last question, Smitha. I know there's some some specific guidelines in the Tokyo Marathon handbook about costumes that you can wear. I also know that you are a big costumer when it comes to actually doing races. So uh, what's your costume plan for the Tokyo Marathon? I have three options that I haven't, uh, that I'm going to decide on based on the weather. Okay. Um, I have one that's one of my favorites, like a pirate costume. Mm-hmm. Um don't ask me why Japan pirates, but it just seems <laughs> fine because, it's, you know, it's it's a sea-locked nation, so I'm sure they've had a history of pirates there. For sure. Um, and another one is actually a very Japanese-themed shirt. So it's mm-hmm. more of a team than an actual costume, mm-hmm. but uh, it's kind of like a Japanese-themed shirt that I'm hoping if the weather needs a short sleeve, I can wear that. And then um, that'll get, that'll get the crowd into it for you. The, the, the crowd will cheer for you if you're wearing a Japanese team shirt. Yeah, yeah very good. I hope so. Yeah. And what's the third and then, option? My third option is actually an R2D2 shirt, um, which again seems super out of place. But hey, why not, right? <laughs> Everybody likes Star Wars, Smitha. <laughs> so very good. Well, Smitha, good luck, and uh, we will look forward to hearing from you when your race is done. Thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Oh, our pleasure. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Bye. Bye, Smitha. All right, so there you have our pre-conversation with Smitha Barkey. Uh, some interesting things she had to say there about what she was expecting from the Tokyo Marathon about two weeks before she went. Let's go ahead and jump right into our conversation with her after the Tokyo Marathon and see whether things worked out the way that she had in mind. Smitha, welcome back. Thank you. 
So you sound tired. You good? <laughs> I I am. I am super uh, jet lagged. Yeah. Uh, we just finished the race and literally hopped onto the. Uh, we hopped onto a flight the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just taken a toll. Like I didn't realize how much I would be jet lagged. Yeah. I yeah, I travel to India quite often, and I was like, yeah, I can do this, but combined with like the just the general marathon soreness. Yeah. And sitting in a flight for 14 hours and getting back into real life, it's been, whoa. Yeah, yeah. And plus, I mean, plus, as, as we talked about beforehand, you uh, you did a whole lot of touring beforehand and all that sort of thing, too. So you had the touring, you had the marathon, and then you had the rapid reentry back into life here. So, so the race was Sunday Tokyo time, which is kind of, I guess, Saturday night Atlanta time. And, and I'm talking to you on Wednesday here. And so it's been... What so less than less than ninety six hours, less than four days. So, uh, wow, quick, yeah. When you do the math like that, yes. Yeah, quick turnaround, quick turnaround. So, tell us how it went. Um, it, it, it like you know we started off the whole tour with like an amazing trip around Japan. Um, right. this two weeks of going places and seeing history and the modernization and pretty much a lot of stuff that I'd always wanted to see. Cool. And then it was like when we got back into Tokyo, it hit me. All right, like vacation is really over. Mm. You know, this is what I came here to do. And the last two days, I don't think I was really good company for my family Mm. (laughs) because I was very broody and I was like trying to just just not be broody but i was being broody because i wasn't talking or wanting to interact with anybody you're saying broody right like you're brooding a lot yeah because i was so worried (laughs) about the whole race yeah and then um you know and the weather kept changing every single day we would look it was every day leading up to the race was great weather except race day Mm. the race day was showing rain all the time Mm. so and uh, very funny, like I had taken every single piece of, of weather gear except mm-hmm. a rain vest, <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's that's what ended up happening. And uh, I mean, ultimately, I knew like there's nothing you can actually do against the weather; it's just there, and you you know everybody has the same day, mm-hmm. so there's no uh, point in fretting over it. But I also think personally, fretting over something like that takes my mind off of other things, so okay. I was okay. Okay. So, yeah, um, I cannot control the weather. So if I think about it, I'm not going to think about other stuff that I can control and I may mess up. Because so, you were you were worried about that that time cut off, and we we talked about that before you left. Yes, I was really really worried about it, and a lot of it hinged on uh, what time I would manage to start the race. So mm-hmm. we had to get into the corrals, and you know, like logic right try to get as far ahead in the corrals as you can right so that's exactly what i tried to do and but that also meant that for a race i was starting at 9 10 and they were going to close the corrals at 8 45 mm-hmm. but i was in the corrals by about 7 45 okay. so standing around for an hour and a half and it had already started raining by then right and um, nobody was sitting, which was weird because I've been in corrals early before where you just put like something on the ground and sit, but everybody was standing. Hmm. So we stood around for an hour and a half. Oh, wow. And then uh, when the race started, uh, everybody just started walking and uh, 
that's when like I got what I try to call politely pushy because mm-hmm. I tried to get as far ahead as possible like kind of like squeeze in through the little gaps and just move ahead in my corral anyway mm-hmm. not to uh you know couldn't jump corrals and um, so I started the race at uh, 9:30:59 so mm-hmm. 21 minutes after the gun went off okay. and uh For me that was a huge boost because worst case scenario I was thinking 30 minutes mm-hmm. and anything after 30 would have been like that would have played with me mentally but right. getting that 20 minute start was um I thought that was pretty decent. Cool. And then uh when we started running um for me uh, like yes it was raining but it wasn't pouring rain it was drizzling rain and the weather was good there was no sun and uh, you know you always have a goal going in and of course my goal was to be checkpoints but I also knew that that I was maybe I you know decently close to uh trying to beat my PR at least if not like the sub 530 goal that I used to have right um so I started the race and I started running and the first mile is always like rocky because everybody is there and you're trying to find your groove and your personal space but um after that one mile um and I kind of settled into it and then I settled down into this rhythm of a pace and the first question I asked myself was okay is this a pace that you can sustain for the next 26 points you know two miles mm-hmm. uh and my immediate gut reaction was no I know I'm going out too fast but I know I can sustain this for 30 kilometers which is what I needed re- to re- recap real quick because because you told us two weeks ago beforehand that that you effectively in order to try and beat the checkpoints you had to start out really fast right like 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 you had to you almost had to kind of run purposely stupid because you had to yeah. beat the 10k <laughs> 20k checkpoints and then once you made those checkpoints you could slow down around 30k like you said but but you actually had to make those checkpoints right exactly yeah. so that that was that was my reasoning and the later you start the harder it is right. when you're slow then you're starting late and so it kind of like compounds right and uh, so i had to make that decision because if i was going to race for my pr i knew that i had started out probably about 30 to 45 seconds too fast right but then uh, you know i like it was like a mile at least of decision making trying to see okay am i going to go for this or this and then finally i decided that the checkpoints was more important to me right and um, and even then you know like i know i had trained for time everything but um this is going to sound really weird but that that burning desire to break that pr was not there doesn't make yeah. sense. Well, yeah, because like, that, oh, that, yeah, that, that had never been your focus, right? I mean, your focus had not been okay. literally the entire build. The focus had been about trying to make those checkpoints. You didn't start thinking about PRing until you were two miles into the race. So, yeah, that, that, that exactly. isn't weird to me at all. That sounds, that sounds perfectly normal. So, um, so there was nothing in me driving me to go for that. And so I decided that I was going to do the checkpoints. Mm-hmm. So um, every 5K, I would question myself, can, can I sustain this for 30 kilometers? I'm like, yes, I can sustain this for 30 kilometers. So, um, and there was a porta parties is a joke in every endurance marathon, right? But this one was to be seen, to be believed. Like the lines were unbelievably long. Hmm. ridiculously unbelievably long and um when i watched the videos after the race some of them a lot of people who got pulled from the race they stopped to use the porta potty and people spent as much as 20 30 minutes waiting in the line 
Right. And, uh, and you know, like I said, I had started, uh, I waited in the corrals in the cold and the rain, like an hour and a half early mm-hmm. with a full bladder. And so I was like, oh, I really need to go. Hmm. And then looking at these lines again, I was like, there is no way I'm going to be able to go, hmm. uh, you know, be able to come out in time. And we always think, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to find the next porta potty. But then as we started running, I found that the porta potties were not actually on the course. They were a little detour on themselves. So I was not going to leave the course for anything. And then I was hmm. thinking, yeah, like, hey, you've been a triathlete for a bit. So you know how it is when you got to go, you got to go. So it's raining. Don't worry about it. TMI, I know, but you got to make the time cut off. So that's what you focus on. <laughs> You go, Smitha. For, 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 the, for, the, for those of you who are missing the reference, Smitha just told us that she peed on herself during the marathon. So, all right, so, so, so good to know. Porta Johns, not necessary. <laughs> um, so, all right, so, very, but, but, but I think that's, um, again, I mean, so, so sort of the, the story of, of, of your experience there and your lead up to it is being up against this unique sort of, of, time cut off pressure right and so so yeah. so far you've talked about how you know you got to the corral pretty early and you stood around you pushed up to the front of the crowd you know as soon as it started you 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 tried to settle into a pace not that you could hold for the entire time but that you could hold for 30 kilometers um and then of course you're looking at porta johns and you decide you can't go there so but you got to go um, anyway the thing also like it was raining and it never actually warmed up um okay. there were people running with ponchos the entire race right and it was, uh, like, it was like 40 or 45 degrees, isn't that right? Yes, it was supposed to be 52, but for whatever reason, um, I, I later learned that the temperature in the um, afternoon actually dipped from what it was at nine in the morning. Oh, okay. So it definitely got progressively colder okay. and the wind picked up towards the like the last hour or so I was on the course. Okay. And um, so any everything was trying to get to the goal and... Uh, so usually when I run, right, I'm very aware of my surroundings. Like I take minute uh, notice of, oh, there was this person wearing this and they did this. And um, and I store it away like in my memory to write about it later because those are those little things that make up the experience of a race. Sure. And uh, this particular race, I was like, I don't care what you all are doing. I'm <laughs> running. That's all. Yeah. So... Are you high-fiving? Good for you. I am not. I am running. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, people were stopping at landmarks and taking selfies and photos and nothing. And I was just running. My family found me at four places and uh, they were screaming, just go, go, go. And I just stopped to like literally high-five and give a kiss to my kid. And mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. No talk. No, I'm like, hey, here, let me pose for you. Let me do this. Right. Uh, so I was just constantly go. And uh, up at about 25K, which is, I guess, what, 15 miles, mm-hmm. I did start to get a little tired. Mm-hmm. And But again, that was like, okay, you have to keep it up till 30K. That was the promise to myself. Mm-hmm. You're going to get to 30K with this pace, and then you can reassess when you get to that point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But I, I kept going, and um, Tokyo Course has a lot of out and back. Okay. And it's both awesome and then it's both horrible it's awesome because we see fast runners and we see all the elites go by so cool. that was That's awesome fun. 
And so if you were running the race, like I could have spotted you going past. And that's a great boost when you see somebody that you know, or even like other runners going past. For sure. But the awful part was when you made the turnaround and you came back, I was able to see these uh, people who are called the runner support people, Mm -hmm. which is basically the balloon people, like they carry golden balloons, yellow balloons. And they are the last people. They it's the, are it's the, it's the, the broom wagon. In cycling, people. they call it the broom wagon. The people that are pulling folks <laughs> off course. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they were there. And the first time I saw them, literally, like my heart leapt in my throat. I was like, they are way closer than I thought they were. Yeah. <laughs> they were and so then I started calculating, okay, I crossed the turnaround. I'm going to see them. And I'm going to try to calculate how far ahead I am of them just to know that um, you know, I don't have to psych myself out just because I'm seeing them. If I'm far ahead of them, I'll be fine. Uh, but mentally, it was seeing them was uh, kind of like all my fears coming true kind of thing, even though they were quite behind. Yeah. And um, when we were running, uh, the, the roads are pretty wide. But I guess, like, you know, because we were towards the end of the road, they started narrowing the course so it would be easier to clean up. Okay. And there was one point where they just brought this rope in front of me and told me to go in this lane. And hmm. I was like, no way. Like, I know that I am not behind the points, but there's this guy in front of me with a rope saying, go this way. Hmm. And, oh, my God, like, the rule follower in me will and, always and, and you, you, and now. You thought you were being pulled from the course? Yes. And okay. so what I did was I fed up and I ducked under his rope <laughs> and followed him. <laughs> and then you would see these buses lined up at these checkpoints. Mm-hmm. And the main checkpoint of that 30 kilometers where I knew a lot of people were pulled, they had a, a, about like eight to 10 buses waiting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, knowing that it was going to be soon filled up with people, yeah things that play on your mind because you're already in you're like constantly being stalked by these images yeah yeah no i i i you know on the one hand you know i could be like wow smitha you were really kind of nuts but on the other hand you know i mean it's kind of like you're almost being stalked i mean you you're talking about you go out and back you see the the people there that are pulling folks off the course then you see like the waiting buses to put people on and then volunteers keep dropping ropes in front of you and stuff. I'd probably be freaking out a little bit too, given the, given the fact that that, that was, you know, a very existential fear for you. Um, I mean, you, you were truly concerned throughout the course of your build. And we talked about it two weeks prior to the race that, that you were going to not be allowed to finish the course. So yeah, they, they didn't do any and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's, um, it's sometimes like hard to understand because um, like I know and we've talked about this in the past about how like you know I when I say I'm slow and it's not weird right? it's, it's relative so there's always going to be somebody faster than me there's always going to be somebody slower than me so it's very relative and it's about how I view myself for sure but this is like a real challenge like um, there is actually a a quantifiable number put to the pace that would either let me finish or not. And um, I have to really say that, you know, um, I was truly uh, lucky. Like I, I did train and uh, put in a lot of work towards it. Um, was there other things that I could have done to get better? Yes, of course I didn't do it. And uh, you know, 
Um, and that stays in the back of your mind. And I'm glad we had rain and cool weather compared to mm. the heat of the sun. Sure. And who knows how that would have turned out for me. But uh, constantly, you know, until I got to the 30K mark. And then it was like, oh, come on. You did it till 30K. You can do five more K with this. Keep going. Right on. Right on. <laughs> um, and... Uh, it, you know, we and I just kept going, and I think at some part, some part probably after I realized I crossed the, I, I was safe. Mm-hmm. I kind of zoned out. Okay. And then came the mental play of, uh, oh, now you're safe. You can walk it in. And I'm like, do mm. I really want to walk it in? Right. I'm like, I'm hurting all over, and I'm really tired, sore, and cold, and everything. I don't want to run. I don't even want to walk. But how much of it am I going to actually push forward and or try to move forward versus just say, eh, I'm done and I'm going to go easy? Well, sure. I mean, that makes sense because cause you had effectively built up 30K as your, your own personal finish line, right? And so, so, exactly. so, so once you cross that finish line, well, you still have to go another, you know, 12.2 kilometers, but, but you knew, like you said, like you just said, you knew you were safe. Okay. So I have a couple of questions I want to ask you that I want to hear about the finish. One of the questions I had written down to ask you after the first one is you talked about how you were concerned because when you get late in a race and you're tired, your numeracy starts to go, which is something that happens to me too. Mm-hmm. Like you can't do math. And so here you are looking at all these various things. Did your math leave you? No, I was able to do math. Nice. <laughs> I, just, I, don't know, I was so proud of myself. And I did like double take on math. And uh, my memory was pretty good too because I'd actually written down uh, – the checkpoint on my arms mm-hmm. and like some basic math, but it was mm-hmm. cold and I had arm warmers on. Right. So there was no way I was going to peel it off to look at it. Right. And there were these clocks with numbers on it, uh, mm-hmm. some of them in Japanese, some of them in English, but mm-hmm. I could see the numbers and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I remember I'm supposed to get past this at, um, you know, 1.55 and 2, 2.35 p.m. And so right. I could remember quite a bit of how to do cool. math. So I'm pretty proud of myself over that. Cool. I mean, it, it seems as if, you know, in, in a strange sort of way, um, you actually really, really heavily prepared. I mean, and, 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 and that, I don't think it's a, that I'm not saying it right to say it's a strange sort of way, but I think that, that, that the, the threat that you had of being pulled from the course caused you to mentally prepare for this race probably more significantly than you prepared for any of the marathon that you've done. And I, I, I'm kind of I mean, going out on a limb to say that, but that's kind of what it sounds like. No, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is actually the second race only that I have trained out of fear. The first was when I trained <laughs> for Augusta 30.3. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as much as I love doing all of this, and I'm so thankful I can do this and get this, you know, opportunity and experience, training with fear is not a happy place to be in. Yeah. Um, it, it just sucks your little uh you know the things that you do well that you want to store in your memory bank for race day but that fear sucks that out of it like it takes away from that victory of the little points because you're like okay it's awesome i did this today in training but if only i can do a little better then i would be a little more safer so uh, and it's really hard to verbalize that fear that you have um to, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's like really hard to verbalize and not make it sound like, oh, I have a chip on my shoulder because I'm slow, but it's actually something that a lot of back of the pack people face. Mm-hmm. And it's not 
as easy as saying, oh, you just have to learn to run fast. Yeah, and it's and, and it produces a level of stress that people who are in the front of the pack don't have to worry about, or, or, or a sort of stress, um, a brand of stress. Um, yeah, it's I, I think it's, I mean, so, so you kind of, and you elucidated the downside. <laughs> I, I was focused on the positive side. Okay. So you're training out of fear and it caused a greater deal of focus for you. But, but I, I, I you, you just explained in great detail the, the, the downside and, you know, on balance, I think it's more of a downside than an upside. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it, so let's talk about a couple other quick things here. Um, and this, this kind of take it to the finish here. So, so I want you to tell us about the finish, but tell us also, you were worried about your body holding up because you had said that, that you were starting to develop some, some issues there in the last couple of weeks. And then you were worried about mentally holding it together. And, and you told us already a little bit about, you know, your struggle to hold together mentally in the last little bit here, but tell us also about the last 12 kilometers. Once you were past that 30 kilometer mark, how'd you physically and mentally hold together and then how'd the finish go? So when I, uh, you know, crossed my mental finish line of 30 kilometers and I knew I was safe, um, it did take a mental leap to keep going. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not exactly very proud of myself at that moment because um, I, I don't think I was weak, but I was not as strong as I could have been. Um, I could have maybe taken more five minutes off and just pushed through, but I did settle down into okay i mean my pace was pretty consistent but i knew i could push myself but it was just like that mentally i was like i'm okay kind of thing Mm -hmm. and um, physically i was really really happy because other than like all the aches and pains that you get by running for four to five hours six hours i was not experiencing what i thought i could experience good Definitely. You know, I knew starting out fast wasn't going to do me any favors. Sure. You know, you go out fast in the first 10K, it comes back to bite you in the last 10K. Sure. Uh, I knew that. I was ready for it. So every time I would feel that pain of, oh, my God, how much more am I going to run? Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, you knew this. You knew you were going to hurt. You knew this was right coming. Yeah. You chose early on in the race to accept that because you wanted to meet that goal first. So, you know, just suck it up. Like, the the more the more you go and you keep going, you're just going to be done with it earlier. So, uh, you know, it kind of faded into it was kind of like an anticlimax the last 10k after <laughs> all this build up I had for the initial one. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually my races are like even I think the last three miles I am like crying or happy or like singing and doing things this was just like keep walking keep running keep running keep going keep going keep going hmm. so it was very mechanical at that point okay yeah it, very much a different sort of finish line than than what you would normally have uh, by virtue of you know the way the race unfolded and what you had to do in order to not be pulled from the course very good all right last question smitha what's next um well i have berlin coming up in september uh, september and uh but that is luckily another seven months away. So mm-hmm. right now, I you know I just hobbled back into Atlanta, <laughs> and I'm still not able to take the stairs properly. So I think I will definitely give my body some rest All and right. some TLC. Right on. And <laughs> but then I think I'm going to regroup probably end of March. End of March is what I'm thinking about. Let me see what I can do and how I want to approach Berlin. Cool. And uh, in the meantime, I'm also trying to build up a good portfolio to apply for a charity for Boston right. because you have to apply in 
accepted. So mm-hmm. that will come up and that's going to be another like a second and third training rolled into one to fundraise mm-hmm. for Boston. And that would be number six. That will be number six, hopefully. Very nice. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. Well, let us know if we can do anything to help you out with that. So, uh, so, so good luck. Um, Smitha, thanks for sharing your experience with us at the Tokyo Marathon, and congrats again, not only on making the 30K finish line, but of course the uh, the 26.2 mile finish line as well. Congrats. Thank you. It was an awesome experience, and I will definitely say that if you can afford it and if you have the you know want to do it, definitely do a race in a different country that has a different culture, that has different rules. It's a totally different ballgame, totally different experience. Mm-hmm. Even like you know, people who've run as fast as you said, it was a completely different experience, and that is what I was so thankful to have. So awesome. yeah, I very happy. Tokyo was good to me. Very cool. Very cool. Congrats again, Smitha. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. You can send us an email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash performance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollander, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.